amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Faith at the forefront of today's events from a Catholic cultural perspective. It's in the arena with your host, Monsignor Kieran Harrington. Hi, everybody. Welcome to In the Arena. I'm Ed Wilkinson, editor of The Tablet, the Catholic newspaper of the Diocese of Brooklyn. And I'm here again with my co-host, Bill Tucker from Newsmax Media. Bill, I guess uh, Monsignor Harrington is having a good time because we haven't heard from him. No, I mean, <laughs> I, but, do you think he's but listening again, in? We're not supposed to hear from him. <laughs> or, or maybe he is listening in. I, I have wondered about that. Uh, he's, he's on a silent retreat, so we're not supposed to hear from him, and we're not supposed to contact him, And uh, but we do wish him well, and we're thinking about him. Uh, he'll join us a little later on uh, th- due to the magic of uh, TV. He'll be here, and uh, he's going to have a great interview with Dr. Judy Kuriansky, who's a, a great guest. And we have some good guests later on. But first, let's, we want to talk a little bit about the news because yeah. the Pope has been in the news. He just had a, what was by all standards a pretty successful trip to Peru and to Chile. It did run into a little controversy, though, in Chile where uh, uh, people were upset about an appointment of a bishop that he made some months ago. Uh, some people claim that this bishop... Uh, knew about some sexual abuse that was going on by somebody who was a mentor to him. He denies it. The Holy Father said he denies it. And I guess the problem is that um, the words that the Holy Father used uh, really got him into a little bit of trouble, right? A word he used, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, that really was very sensitive. He said he he defended the the bishop, says he believes he's innocent, and until somebody can bring him proof. Mm -hmm. And it was that word, Proof, which mm-hmm. is so sensitive to a lot of victims of of sexual abuse, right. that set a lot of set a lot of people off mm-hmm. and had a lot of people upset, including members of of, of the clergy within yeah. the church. Well, most notably, Cardinal Sean O'Malley made some comments about that, and uh, he kind of corrected the Holy Father. You, I guess you could say it was a criticism of the Holy Father sure. because that's how the media played it up and. Uh, uh, Cardinal O'Malley is one of the inner nine that helps advise the Holy right. Father on things. All of a sudden, he showed up in Peru, and people said, oh, my goodness, what's that all about? Were you, uh, were you surprised that he showed up and he uh, seemed to talk some sense, so to speak, into Pope Francis? <laughs> well, he was appointed to this committee by the Pope. And, and I think when you're appointed by someone— whether whether it be within the church or within business, if you're appointed to a committee, if you're if you're given a responsibility, you're you're supposed to take it seriously. And I and I think Cardinal O'Malley was showing that he took his assignment and his responsibilities seriously. I don't I don't think it was a disrespect to the Pope the way some news organizations played it. I think I think he was genuinely concerned, and within the context of a family. We don't all always agree with each other inside a family, you know. But we learn that we can tell each other. Listen, I, I'm I'm concerned. I have a problem with this. I think you're wrong on this, and I and and I think the Pope heard him. Yes, as he a did. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. well, he did issue sort of a clarification on the plane yeah. ride back to Rome. 
And he said, I, I, I probably used the wrong word. He said, I shouldn't right. have used proof. He said, what I really should have said was evidence. He said, uh, and, and, you know, he's kind of caught in the middle because there's no mechanism here to really judge what's going on and right. what's, what the truth is. Because the Pope is having to play judge and jury here. And really, maybe it shouldn't be left up to him, that there should be a mechanism, uh, some kind of a committee of, uh, of, of hierarchy that should study this thing, look into it, and try to come to where is the truth on this thing. Because the Pope is trying to defend this one bishop who, you know, he doesn't want to throw him under the bus right. either. No, no, I understand. But it's one of those weird moments. It's one of those things that leaders have to do where he clearly believes that this, this bishop, Baros, is, is capable deserving of the responsibility and he believes he's innocent there are on the other hand there are a lot of people who say we don't we're not so sure about that we don't believe that and and it's a difficult place for the pope to be if he wants to make baros if he wants to put him in the position of authority which he which he put him into which he assigned him to so yeah it it is a it's a difficult place to be we'll see what what happens over over time and and how the people react to it but you know how does bishop barros even begin to try to lead this diocese though if so many people are reacting against him he's got a public relations nightmare he does you know if he were put it to an election tomorrow he probably wouldn't get elected to this lot of popular <laughs> opinion so i mean how does he overcome that and and be the spiritual leader of a diocese when he's got this thing hanging over him I you know what honestly ed i that is a, that's the sixty four thousand dollar question and i don't know that he can i don't obviously know the people that he serves and I don't know the depth of their feelings about what you know what, what he was responsible for but I don't I don't honestly I don't know how he overcomes it because yeah. these are serious serious allegations yeah. well you know the holy father is uh, he issued a statement recently about the for world communications day in which he talked about fake news uh -huh. and, uh, and I guess all of this stuff comes under the same heading you know what do you mean by fake news what does the pope mean by fake news what does trump mean by fake news uh, but the Holy Father is trying to say to journalists that they have a responsibility to seek the truth, that there's an objective truth out there, and that right now there are a lot of polemics out there. Yes. Uh, the, the left <laughs> is taking the news one way. The right is taking the news one way. Sometimes they take a little piece of the news and blow it up into what's not the story. Right. What do you think about the Holy Father challenging journalists to Find the truth. How do, what is truth, as it says in the gospel? What is truth? I welcome, I welcome his comments because at the core of his comments for the people who consume news is it's a simple, common piece of, a commonsensical piece of advice, which is read more than one thing. Read multiple outlets. Read different opinions. And, and it's, in essence, the challenge to, to us, mm -hmm. you and I as journalists, that we need to be committed to seeking the truth and remembering that we need to be talking to both sides of a story. We need to be looking at, at, at a story from different kind of angles. You know, ultimately, we're going to bring our own perspective to it. But we can bring a balanced perspective because it is, it is informed. It is informed by people who are for and against. It is informed by people who are advocating and people who are opposing so that we can give people some sense of a truer sense of a story as opposed to what we have now, unfortunately, which is mm -hmm. news outlets on left and right who service one viewpoint because they know that's going to get the readers. It's going to get the viewers. You know, they know that's where the money is for them. So they're going to they're going to they're going to stick to their story and sell it that way. Yeah, well. Talk about selling a story. Some people say that the Holy Father was really addressing his remarks to President Trump. 
Uh, <laughs> so, it, was the Pope making a statement? Do you think a political statement to President Trump? To uh, no, I don't. I really don't think he was. I don't. I think what he was. I think what he is saying to us is, you have a responsibility. You, Bill. You, Ed, have a responsibility here in the way you consume news and the way you come to understand events today to inform yourself better than simply reading the same thing every day and getting the same opinion every day. We know, Ed, I, I, what worries me the most about the current environment in the world and in, in America is that we don't seem to be comfortable having disagreements with one another. Mm-hmm. And I think we need, and I'm not talking about arguments, I'm not talking about, you know, angry, shouting conversations. I'm talking about just simple disagreements with one another where we say, oh, I don't agree with you on that. Well, why not? What? And we don't. We seem to be drifting away from being able to do that, and that's important that we do it. Well, people seem to dig in. You know, they dig into their side. If you take a news story that breaks today and then you would go to CNN tonight and then you go to Fox tonight, you're going to see two different versions yeah. of the same story. You are. I mean, you're a veteran newsman. You worked for CNN at one time. Is there something going on? Is it? Is there something different going on in how we report the news today? Well, I do. I, I think it comes back to you know the, the the cynical side of news is always you're not really you're not really making news. You you are selling viewers. You are selling readers to advertisers. That's mm-hmm. the cynical view of what we do, and I think what the cable news outlets have done, all of them have decided, you know what, we we are going to sell this perspective because it's controversial. Mm-hmm. We can be super conservative or super liberal, and, and we'll sell that, and people will know us as that brand, and that's how we're going to be, and we're going to stick with that. And and I think that's a huge mistake. I think a lot of people actually are – I know from when I used to go out and be an active reporter in the field, I think people – see the world differently than the way these these news executives at the at within this bubble of of you know New York City see mm-hmm. the world they they see it as a more complex place i think they're willing to entertain actually a more complex conversation yeah. well speaking of living in a bubble what happened to the democrats this week i mean did they get this whole dialogue with the president trump wrong i mean they had to back down on the uh, on the whole problem of closing down the government, right. they finally had to back down and compromise because they were they were way off to the left. I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you think that they realize? I mean, what do you, what is wrong with the, the 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 conversation right now? I don't know. It's it's so funny because you know Trump has repeatedly, actually repeatedly said, in essence, I'm on your side. Mm-hmm. I mean, the president, whether you like President Trump or not, his language in terms of the DACA recipients has been pretty consistently very sympathetic to the Democratic position of, I'm on your side, so we need to do something for these kids. But it's your responsibility, you as Congress, it's you, the legislature, that need to take care of this and make it a permanent fix. And I think America has been hearing that. And and, 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 and I don't know why Senator Schumer wanted to hang his hat on that issue to close down a government and not fund the military and and I and I think he I think he, I mean honestly let's give him the benefit of the doubt maybe he realized he was just flat wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, according to a CNN poll, Americans by a margin of uh, fifty six to thirty four said DACA should not take priority of keeping the government open, and uh, voters believe that a chip extension is more important than fixing DACA. I mean it's it's apples and oranges. Yeah, I, it's two different things. Two isn't different it? things. Yeah, totally two different things. And they had chip chip was there. 
Mm-hmm. Chip was there for them, and it's there. So, I mean, hopefully, and it's interesting because it's seen in polls backed by a Harvard-Harris poll, which shows fundamentally the same results. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats are hanging their hat on the fact that, well, we've got to take back the, the, the House and the Senate, and, and we're going to have to uh, destroy Trump in the elections coming up in November. Are they misreading the public, do you think? I think they are. Mm-hmm. I think they are. I think that today's Democratic Party is a party which has rushed as far left as it could go. Mm-hmm. And there aren't a lot of people. I, I, my brother-in-law is a classic moderate Democrat. He's a great guy. I'd vote for him 10 times over <laughs> if I could for office, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's but he is in the minority within his party. And he and I have talked about that. And, and he's well aware of the fact he's the odd duck now in his, mm-hmm. his own party. All right. Well, we've got to take a break. We could talk about this forever, but uh, we'll be right back in the arena. Ed Wilkinson with uh, Bill Tucker. Stay right where you are. Dear Calvary Hospital, James Lee was a true hero. Saving lives was something he always wanted to do. Whether as a paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne or as a New York City fireman, they called him Jimmy. I was proud to call him Dad. But when terminal illness ravaged his body... This man's man knew that this was one life that could not be saved, not even by me, an experienced nurse. It just wasn't fair that he had to suffer like this. But then Calvary stepped in. You relieved his enormous pain and not only gave him the peace and comfort he deserved, but you also gave me and my family a chance to enjoy his final days, smiling and laughing, together one last time. How can we ever forget what you mean to us? Yours truly, Colleen Lee. This is Frank Calamari, president of Calvary Hospital, where life continues. Call us at 718-518-2000. Thank you. As the pieces of the financial, investing, and retirement puzzle continue to get more complicated, feel confident in your financial future at Jannie Montgomery Scott. Jannie's analysts and market strategists have the knowledge and expertise to help you understand trends and identify opportunities in changing markets. Call George Prezioso at 718-238-4800 for a complimentary consultation and financial report. Or go to Jannie.com. Jannie Montgomery Scott, LLC. Founded in 1985, the Brooklyn Veterinarian Group, located on New Utrecht Avenue, has been serving the community's pet needs for over 25 years. Dr. Pernice and his staff handle everything from prevention of heartworms, fleas, ticks to vaccinations, x-rays, and routine surgical procedures. Call 718-331-7775. Again, that number is 718-331-7775. Check out their website at www.brooklynvetgroup.com. Mention In the Arena and receive 10% off your first visit. In the arena with Monsignor Kieran Harrington on 710 WOR. I hope you're not disappointed that uh, this is not Monsignor Harrington, but uh, this is Ed Wilkinson, and I'm the editor of The Tablet, Brooklyn's Catholic newspaper, joined in the studio today by Bill Tucker from Newsmax TV. And now we've got a very special guest. Jeannie Nicro is here with us. She's the author of Unshaken, Standing Strong in Uncertain Times. And boy, are Ooh. these uncertain times? <laughs> this is what you call a timely interview. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. So where do you want to start? I mean, what's wrong with these days, uh, Jeannie? <laughs> well, they're uncertain, that's for sure. You know, if they're not uncertain enough in the news, they are in our own personal lives. So we've always got something that is shaking, mm-hmm. and more and more so every day. Well, and that, and that really plays into the title of your book and plays into my first primary question, in times like these, we are told we need to 
resort to our faith. We need to we need to lean on our faith in certainly our faith communities. But unfortunately, the paradox is that this is the hardest time mm-hmm. for somebody to do that kind of mm-hmm. lean into the faith when when everything around you looks like it just could go bad at any moment. Exactly. And that's how I was when I and that's what caused me actually to write the book because I came to a place of such fear. It was almost like a paralysis of fear. If all these bad things are keep happening, why even leave the house, you know? <laughs> and why even have my daughter go to school? Just stay home and enjoy the time with my family while we can. Yeah. And uh, But yet I knew that that wasn't from God. Yeah, I had been teaching on freedom from fear, and yet I was paralyzed by fear. So I thought, okay, what's going on here? And you know, what the Lord showed me was when we do fear and stress, there's always a lie that we're believing about ourselves or about him or both. Mm-hmm. And so it really comes down to recognizing and asking God to show you what lie you're believing. Because if we really believed that he was with us and in control, would we ever fear or stress? Yet we do. Well, but I think one often. of the... Why, I, I'm going to speak personally for a second. I think one of the things I have the most difficulty doing is... When I have that, I, 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 I lean on my faith a lot. I have to. Otherwise, I, I, couldn't, get up, I couldn't get up in the morning exactly. and leave the house and do anything. But I worry that sometimes I'm li- I, I'm, that I am lying to myself by holding on to that faith and, and thinking, let me lean into that. And that, and that, is, that for me, is one of this, the personal struggles, mm-hmm. I guess would be mm-hmm. the fair way to put it. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of lies you know, that we can believe. And... I think whenever we're feeling not at peace or that, you know, closeness with God or um, just an assurance of his presence, of his will, of his um, protection, there's a sense of a, there's a lie. You know, whether it's that um, he's you know not with you or whether it's that uh, you have to hold everything together yeah. or you should be doing something different. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's uh, you know fearing more or you know, whatever, it's there's a lie, and you know the enemy is the father of lies. And so when we believe a lie, it's really a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And I was just sharing with a friend uh, prior to this interview that I believe the Lord's waking us up to see the unseen, because in these times, if we don't see what's behind the scenes, then we just fall back on ways that don't work. You know, just trying to block it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, people will say to you, you know, just forget about it or just, you know, people drink or whatever they do to block them from feeling mm-hmm. or from dealing with it. Well, and, well how you know, do we then turn off those voices and get to this intimacy with God that you're mm-hmm. talking about in this book? Exactly. Because intimacy with God is the key to standing strong. Right. And we got to recognize, first of all, that the moment by moment things that like stress that the world has begun to just say, everybody's stressed, and it's just part of the culture. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you're not stressed, you must not be keeping up. You're a slacker. You know, you're not on Facebook and ever whatever. You know, there's just demands and the texts coming in and the oh, news yeah. blaring right. at you. So it's almost become a, a cultural lie that it's okay to be stressed. And what we need to realize is that stress blocks intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. You know, behind stress or fear, there's lies. Again, so. I believe what's really helped me and why I wrote the book was when I'm stressed or fearful, 
or down on myself or angry or frustrated, whatever it is that's blocking that intimacy with God, I just start praying, Lord, show me what lie I believe in. Because mm-hmm. I'm not even aware of it. You know, and lies about God are something that if I were to come up to you and say, do you believe lies about God? You'd probably say, of course not. <laughs> He's always with me. And then why are you so angry? Why are you so stressed? So yeah. it's something that you, I, the Lord wants to reveal truth. And so when you ask him to show you what lies you, he'll show you. Well, you, you speak in the book about uh, the tough times that you had, particularly in your 20s. Oh, and yes. What were some of the lies about oh, God goodness. that you were believing at that point? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, there were so many. How much time do we have? Mm. I never ran out of examples of my own life. I was believing that he expected me to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I was not perfect at all in my 20s. And... I was believing the lies of the world that, you know, if you're in your 20s, you're out of college, this is what you do. And uh, so I thought, well, how could God ever help someone like me? Or that he was just mad at me. Or that uh, he was just looking at, you know, me like, ah, you're despicable. So I would not turn to him. So I would turn to drinking, to men, to you know, all the things that the world and movies and music tell you to look to, and then just kept nose diving more and more into depression and rejection. Well, it sounds to me like we're leading up to this word I love, forgiveness. Mm. Did you, did it, was it was the beginning of this for you where you learned to forgive yourself for not being perfect? Is that is did you is, is that the moment you came to or or what happened? Well, the moment I came to was suicide. Mm-hmm. It was that bad. Well, I'm glad you're here. It was that bad. I w- this was about 29 years ago, but I um, got to a point where I wanted to kill myself. Because I was so hopeless. You know, I had tried everything. I had been through therapy. I had been through, you know, so I knew yeah. it all in my head. I knew why I felt this way. I knew, you know, but there was never any permanent healing. You know, maybe it would be a little bit better for a little while or with a person. But between not finding a job that my heart was into, be rejection from men, feeling worthless, and still, you know, I was 28, I think, at the time. So I came to a point I wanted to, to kill myself, and um, and but before I did that, I said, God, if you are real, take control of my life because I don't want it anymore. And He did. How did He do it? He what did it through th- His Spirit. I really I felt His the Holy Spirit just come upon me and uh, His peace and and just gave me a um, a desire to start learning about Him. I mean, I'd never really read the Bible. But I had, you know, gone to uh, Catholic school. I had, you know, I knew about it, but didn't really have it in my heart mm-hmm. and started listening to Bible studies and going to Bible studies and, and just um, having a, a craving to, to learn from him. And, and he began to show me how he saw me that was much different than I mm-hmm. had uh, thought so. Well, one of the things you, you talk about in the book, you talk about forgiveness in the book and you talk about gratitude. I was struck by the fact you talk about gratitude because, you know, I happen to have uh, read a lot of Tony Robbins' books. Okay. And, you know, and when, you, when you look at personal—and Tony's not unique— mm-hmm. in that when you, when you look at personal improvement, one of the first things that gets emphasized over and over and over again is gratitude. You have to stop and be grateful for what you have. Mm-hmm. seems like—I mean, where did they come from from you? Did you what was that moment where you, you understood gratitude to be something important? Well, what I expressed even in the book about gratitude, a little bit of a, an add-on to what you're saying, is thanking God in advance is a form of praise. 
And as I said, we've got to wake up to see the unseen. And when you see the unseen, you recognize that, okay, there's a spiritual battle going on. That means I need to use spiritual weapons of warfare. One of those things that only work in the spirit realm. And one of the things that work is praise. And so when we're thanking him in advance, it's a form of praise. As well as when we're thanking him after the fact. But so all throughout the day, you know, thank you that you will guide this interview. Thank you that you'll give me the words to say. Thank you that you'll guide this conversation. Thank you that you'll provide. Is a form of thanking him in advance is, is praise. And then recognizing all throughout the day, then you, then you start to see that everything was from him. Mm-hmm. And so having that attitude of gratitude or thanking him in advance is a weapon of warfare that yeah. makes a difference in the spiritual realm. You're leading us into the next thing I want to talk about is the practicalities. How do you do this? Yes. <laughs> you know, and, uh, Helping you along <coughs> the way. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you say in the book is that, you know, to celebrate the feast days is, mm-hmm. the, is what you're talking about. What do you mean when you say, how, why is that important to celebrate the feast days? And what do you mean by that? Oh, excellent question. The, the feast, when I talk about anything that has to do with intimacy with God, where I come from, from intimacy with God, is aligning your heart with what's on his heart. So that's why in the book, I go, the different chapters will be what's on his heart about this or that. And so I have one chapter about the biblical feasts, the feasts that are in the book mm-hmm. of Leviticus. Right. So that would include things like Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and, and uh, Shavuot and so forth. And so because those are from the Lord, those are his appointed times, those are the Lord's feasts, he designed them. And so mm-hmm. he must be passionate about them. You know, those are something that's on his heart. And we're told that when Jesus returns, we'll be celebrating them with him. So when we celebrate them and we study them, we're connecting or aligning our heart with what's on his heart. And whenever you do that, you grow in intimacy with him. And especially with the feast, they're appointed times. And so I'll share, yeah. would you ever miss an appointment with, you know, for women it's easy to say with your hair or nails, or you know, for <laughs> men it might be something else. But, well, why would you miss an appointed time with God? And it's the same thing with the feast. So it's it, all a way of growing in intimacy with him. It's really funny because I, I have a friend of mine who's Jewish, and he, okay. he calls those feast days God's days. Mm-hmm. He says there are other holidays on the Jewish calendar that are rabbi invented holidays exactly but he said those days are god's days exactly and i love to teach when i do i love to lead satyrs and all kinds of teaching on the feast i always share what part of this did god design and what part of this did the rabbis add on to it <laughs> yeah, yeah. well we, we could talk forever about I this know. book but uh, our time is run down the book is called unshaken Standing strong in uncertain times. Uh, Jeannie Nigro, thank you so much. How can people stay in touch with you? Do you have a website? I uh, sure do. It's uh, JeannieNigro.com. So that's okay. J-E-A-N-N-E-N-I-G-R-O.com. And you've got there's lots of teachings and uh, books and CDs and all kinds of uh, resources to help you to stand strong. A great message. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Bill, interesting conversation. Fascinating conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Good. We'll be right back after this. St. Sebastian is a thriving parish. The chapel is open for adoration with benediction weekdays from 7.30 until 6.45 and Sundays from 8 to 5. There are also weeknight masses every day at 7 p.m. with a Spanish service on Thursdays, in addition to the regular Sunday mass schedule, which offers eight opportunities for worship, including a 10.30 a.m. mass with ASL interpreter and a noon mass in Spanish. Come out and join us at 3963.50. 57th Street in Woodside, New York. 
and Butchies of Brooklyn, Italian kitchen and legendary desserts. We offer everything, a cafe, a bakery, a restaurant, and full bar. Our kitchen offers old-world Italian recipes, handed down from generation to generation, specializing in Italian-American cuisine. Let us host your next affair in our home, or we can cater to you in your home. Located in Staten Island at 4864 Arthur Kill Road, and you can call us at 718-227-0002. Founded in 1985, the Brooklyn Veterinarian Group, located on New Utrecht Avenue, has been serving the community's pet needs for over 25 years. Dr. Pernice and his staff handle everything from prevention of heartworms, fleas, ticks to vaccinations, x-rays, and routine surgical procedures. Call 718-331-7775. Again, that number is 718-331-7775. Check out their website at www.brooklynvetgroup.com. Mention In the Arena and receive 10% off your first visit. As the pieces of the financial investing and retirement puzzle continue to get more complicated, feel confident in your financial future at Jannie Montgomery Scott. Jannie's analysts and market strategists have the knowledge and expertise to help you understand trends and identify opportunities in changing markets. Call George Prezioso at 718-238-4800 for a complimentary consultation and financial report. Or go to Jannie.com. Jannie Montgomery Scott, LLC. The FBI reports there is a burglary in the U.S. every 15 seconds. If you're not alarmed, you should be. At Alarms R Us, we keep your loved ones safe with our burglar and fire alarm systems and 24-hour central station monitoring. Call Alarms R Us toll-free at 866-996-6900 to schedule your free security consultation. Again, that number is 866-996-6900. It's always better to be safe than sorry. So call Alarms or Us now to protect your home and family. In the Arena with Monsignor Kieran Harrington. Call in at 347-921-4NET. 347-921-4NET. No, no, it's not Monsignor Harrington. This is Ed Wilkinson, the editor of The Tablet, Brooklyn's Catholic newspaper, and I'm with uh, Bill Tucker from Newsmax Media. And right now we're joined by Michael Ogros, who is a uh, teacher of philosophy out at St. Thomas Aquinas uh, College in Santa Paulo, California, and he's written a new book called The Immortal in You, and it's a great, profound uh, uh, title, Michael, what is the title "The Immortal in You" refer to? Well, Ed, it's about that's about the human soul. It's referring to uh, the the fact that in in each human being there's uh, an immortal soul that can uh, survive the death of the body, and the idea of the book is that you can actually know that about yourself even independently of of faith, of religious faith, uh, through a careful reflection on your own experience of of being a human being. It's not an easy thing to do. That's a philosophical exercise, but it's something that, that can be done, and, and it's something that I've tried to make as accessible to, to people as possible, uh, starting with, with uh, ideas that come out of Aristotle and, and Thomas Aquinas. Well, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that, Michael, by your own self-reflection and your own experience? How, how, how is it that we can know that we yeah. have a soul? Well, uh, <laughs> that you have a soul, if by a soul you just mean something that makes you alive, 
then then you know you've got one just by the fact that you're a living being. But if you mean something that can survive uh, the destruction of your own body, yeah, the, immor- the immortal soul, yes. the immortal part, right? How do you know that? Well, you what what uh, the the stuff in your own experience that's the foundation of discovering that fact about yourself is um, simply your active understanding. Your ability to understand eternal, timeless truths is is something that is a, a foundation of an argument you can make to show that your your intellect is something that can't be a power of your body the way eyesight is or even imagination and other things that are housed in the brain. Your, your intellect requires your brain to operate in certain ways, but it's not, in fact, a power of your brain. It's a spiritual power. Your will is also, your free will as well. Well, do you have to be a philosopher to come to this conclusion and gain this insight, or, or is this available to anybody, do you think? Uh, well, I think the answer has to be yes and yes to that question. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's available He's to everybody. answer yes or he couldn't teach the course. Come on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's, uh, the answer is yes, it's available to everybody at a certain level. Uh, and I think everybody it, it finds it strange to think uh, uh, that maybe their intellect or their free will is finally just something mechanical or chemical or electrical. That just doesn't sound right. And I think you can uh, appeal to most people. They can see that there's something very odd about that view. Uh, and you can make an argument that I, or, or arguments that I think are accessible to most people at some level. But if you want to know it with a certain degree of philosophical rigor and be able to answer some pretty high-powered objections from uh, a kind of a scientific attitude uh, that science, modern science is the only way to know things about ourselves, that might be something that requires a little more work than, um, than a, a, a normal audience might be willing to do. I try to strike a middle ground in, in the book and try to give uh, people a sense of just how rigorous an understanding of this kind of thing can come out of philosophy, but at the same time keep it entertaining and, and light <laughs> uh, and not get them all the way into the, the depths of the thing uh, in a way that would be painful. I try to avoid that. Well, is this a matter of faith? Are you saying that science cannot prove it, that this is just a matter of faith? Uh, are science and faith diametrically opposed, or are they complementary? No, well, I would say they're complementary. They're not diametrically opposed, uh, but they sometimes seem to be opposed. And I think here we have an instance of that. So uh, what you have is an, uh, some of the evidence of modern science, a lot of it, points to um, the dependence of your mind upon your brain, that you can't think, you can't pray, you can't do anything, however spiritual or intellectual you might think it, it, it to be, without using your brain in some way. I think there's abundant evidence for that. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the evidence for that is something everybody knows from their ordinary experience. When I ask my students to get up to the board and demonstrate a theorem out of Euclid, um, if they've been out all night, they're going to have trouble doing that. Or if, uh, if they're sick, they're going to have trouble doing that. Or if you, you, you smack me on the head, I'm going to have trouble thinking. So even apart from uh, uh, modern magnetic resonance imaging techniques and things of that sort, which show us our brains lighting up, so to speak, while we're thinking, even apart from that, we already have a, a lot of evidence that brain injury, brain illness, all those sorts of things get in the way of thinking, which shows a dependence of thinking on the brain. Uh, but modern science gives a, a abundant more evidence, you could say a lot more evidence of that, and we have some detailed, more detailed understanding of what that dependence is like. 
So that looks like it's saying modern science says your intellect just is your brain or is some function of your brain. Therefore, when your brain is destroyed, your intellect, your mind is gone too. Therefore, your soul is gone. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, you, you're, you're really talking about a question that we, that we as human beings have been asking ourselves for millennium, probably. Yeah, that's right. And we struggle with today even. And we, see, and we see it reflected in modern literature. We see it reflected in modern film. And Lord knows we see it reflected more and more in terms of the research that's being done with artificial intelligence and the ability yes. to create robots and, 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 and what appear to be sentient beings which forces us to ask ourselves, what, what is, the, is there a fundamental difference? And if there is, what is that difference between those machines that we can, can create and ourselves? Yes, that's right, yeah. So it, if, if um, you consider those machines, there, here's one fundamental difference. They're built from the outside out of materials which are just kind of forced together for our purposes. Whereas we're brought together by natural processes and we grow <laughs> and reproduce. So we, we give every sign of being individual beings, not just collectives. Um, and, and we see from within our own experience of ourselves, I'm not, I don't experience myself as a collection of genes or of atoms or of molecules. I experience myself as, uh, as a single entity that's performing all these various functions of understanding, thinking, willing, and so on. Uh, whereas the, the machine is something that we put together from the outside in order to serve the, uh, the purposes of, what, uh, of our own understanding or our own desires. And they do the kind of slavish work of a lot of computation that we don't do as well as they do and that we don't enjoy doing. But that is a kind of a necessary thing for all kinds of uh, results that we want. So I don't think they give any, there's no evidence that they have interior awareness or any kind of interiority the way that we have within ourselves, which means they're not living beings. So they don't even qualify for intellectual living beings in particular. Uh, on, on the other hand, they do perform a lot of work that's perfectly analogous to our thinking. Yeah. The, dan the dance steps that we go through when we reason are things that machines can imitate perfectly well, and in fact, they could do it better than we can in, in, in many ways. Uh, but that's not the same thing as doing the thinking itself, doing a bunch of steps that are analogous to it. That's good enough, though, in order to get the output that we need. So uh, I once went to uh, the Boston Museum of Science and, and saw there a machine made of tinker toys that was about the size of the room that I'm in right now. It was made by MIT students. And this thing, you could see it, it was encased in glass and uh, you could play tic-tac-toe with it and it would, it would either beat you or tie you every time. So uh, this is nothing but wood and string. That's all that was in there. Nobody I know thinks that that thing actually enjoyed the game or knew that it was playing a game. It, it, there's nothing like that going on. It's not a single being. It's just a bunch of sticks that are put together in a way that uh, performs steps that are analogous to a person playing tic-tac-toe. Mm -hmm. And that's good enough for it to, to beat you, so to speak. Well, what about, what about the case of, uh, of dogs and cats and horses? They're living beings. They're not robots. Do they have no. souls, immortal souls? No, but they do have souls, or at least that that's, that's the way that Thomas Aquinas would have talked about it, mm -hmm. certainly Aristotle. All they would mean by that is, you're right, these are living beings. These are not like the Tinker Toy Machine or like your desktop computer. Uh, these are beings like us in a general way, but they differ from us in that their intelligence, I think you also have to say they're intelligent um, in some sense of that word, but their intelligence is not the same kind as ours. So they can't understand timeless 
eternal universal truths, whereas we can. And everybody can do that. That's not just a philosopher's job. If you understand that two and two makes four, and that it always does, and always did, and always has to, that's understanding a timeless universal truth, even though it's also a trivial one. So everybody does that. Um, do you get pushback from your students? Do, uh, do they believe what you're saying, or do they question what you're teaching? Uh, they, they both. <laughs> I get some that uh, don't question enough, and I get some that question too much. So uh, but the, the, the best is the, the one who really wants to understand and is willing to push back when he or she doesn't follow what's, what I'm saying. Uh, but you, you don't want people who are just accepting it because they already agree with your conclusion out of, out of faith if you want them to try to understand uh, and not just believe. Whereas, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I was just going to say, I would think you would you would want that student who questions because yeah. you need that dynamic. Otherwise, you don't understand or you don't have a fundamental understanding of the concept of an immortal soul. I think that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you want somebody who's going to push back and say, but wait a minute, I can't understand anything without using my brain. Uh, you yourself have admitted that, Dr. Agros. So why is that if the intellect is in fact a spiritual power in me and is not uh, housed in my brain the way eyesight is housed in my eyes and in my brain? And then you have to start distinguishing different kinds of dependence and show that uh, the intellect, the human intellect, depends on the brain to provide it with objects to think about and not as the organ in which the thinking is being done. But you need arguments for that, those things that I'm saying there are not self-evident. You teach this at a Catholic university. Could you teach this course on a secular campus? Yeah, certainly you could. Um, you probably wouldn't want to use Thomas Aquinas for that, Saint <laughs> uh, but you, you, you could go back to Aristotle. That's where uh, St. Thomas is drawing his arguments for the incorporeal nature of the human mind. He, he draws his arguments for that conclusion from Aristotle, who's a pagan philosopher who is still highly respected and studied in all major universities. Great. Michael, thanks so much. We're running out of time. Uh, Michael Augros talking to us from California. He's written the book, The Immortal in You. And thanks for taking some time and uh, this, talking to us about the book this morning. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Good. And uh, we'll be right back with Monsignor Kieran Harrington. We'll be on the line, and he's going to be talking to Judy, Dr. Judy Kuriansky. Dear Calvary Hospital, my dad was at the end of his life, suffering from pancreatic cancer. I knew there was only one place that could relieve his pain and ours as well. Calvary Hospital. His wish was to die at home, so it was Calvary Home Hospice that provided Dad with the quality of life he deserved, filled with exceptional comfort and warmth. He passed on with dignity and grace, and we were all there with him. A year later, my mom needed the same Calvary care, and once again, Calvary's expert home hospice staff was there for us. My parents gave me unqualified love their entire lives, there was no better way for me to return this love than with Calvary's care. Yours truly, Deborah DiGregorio. This is Frank Calamari, president of Calvary Hospital. Our world-renowned hospice program brings our expert end-of-life care right into your home. Call us at 718-518-2465. Founded in 1985, the Brooklyn Veterinarian Group, located on New Utrecht Avenue, has been serving the community's pet needs for over 25 years. Dr. Pernice and his staff handle everything from prevention of heartworms, fleas, ticks to vaccinations, x-rays, and routine surgical procedures. 
Call 718-331-7775. Again, that number is 718-331-7775. Check out their website at www.brooklynvetgroup.com. Mention In the Arena and receive 10% off your first visit. Liquid Dreams Design. Outstanding for all your printing needs, especially same-day service, including banners, signs, posters, graphics, custom wall coverings, and step-and-repeat backdrops. Call 718-627-8599 and mention to Sales Media Now to get 10% off. Or visit their website at liquiddreamsdesign.com. The FBI reports there is a burglary in the U.S. every 15 seconds. If you're not alarmed, you should be. At Alarms R Us, we keep your loved ones safe with our burglar and fire alarm systems and 24-hour central station monitoring. Call Alarms R Us toll-free at 866-996-6900 to schedule your free security consultation. Again, that number is 866-996-6900. It's always better to be safe than sorry. So call Alarms R Us now to protect your home and family. And Butchies of Brooklyn, Italian kitchen and legendary desserts. We offer everything, a cafe, a bakery, a restaurant, and full bar. Our kitchen offers old-world Italian recipes, handed down from generation to generation, specializing in Italian-American cuisine. Let us host your next affair in our home, or we can cater to you in your home. Located in Staten Island at 4864 Arthur Kill Road, and you can call us at 718-227-0002. In the arena with Monsignor Kieran Harrington on 710 WOR. Hey gang, welcome back to In the Arena. 2017 was a terrible year for a lot of bloodshed. Uh, There were a lot of mass shootings and terrorist attacks uh, throughout our country and throughout our world. And as we begin a new year, of course, we, we pray for peace and we dedicate the world to peace on on January 1st, through praying for peace in the world, living in right relationship with all, all people. Uh, my guest today uh, is someone who uh, is, has a lot to say on this subject, and, and I'm very grateful for Dr. Judy Kriansky for joining us. She's a new, uh, noted New York psychologist and doctor, and she shares uh, this question of hope uh, that anybody of us who are kind of struggling with these kinds of stresses as a result of violence... And, she has a new book out. It's called Beyond Bullets and Bombs. And I'm very well happy to welcome Dr. Judy to be with us here in studio today. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much, Monson. You, you used some key words. One was peace, and the other was hope. Interestingly, I travel around the world to disaster areas a great deal and places where there have been shootings and terrorism and natural disasters. I just got back from Vietnam where there were, uh, was a terrible typhoon. And hope is so important. Recently I was in Sierra Leone and there during the Ebola issue and my writing partner, my music partner, and I wrote a song called Hope is Alive. And that's very relevant to what you're talking about in terms of the last year being so much about shootings and Tara. What are these nine coping? Yes, please, please. Okay, it goes, I love you, you love me, hope is alive, he loves her, she loves him, hope is alive, we gotta dance together, dance together, 
hope is alive and on <laughs> like on. that. Beautiful, very, very beautiful. And right, and it's very simple. Right. And people around the world learn it and sing it, and it comes with a dance. And so that joy relieves people from the pain, the terror, the fear, and the anxiety that comes from terrorism and shootings and natural disasters. Trauma. What are the nine strategies that you suggest for coping with trauma? Well, what's really important is, first of all, to face what the fears are, because we do have fears, and we have fears of when could it happen again, and certainly with these shootings in the church and on the street and in schools, you don't know where you can be, so you need to face the fact that this, in fact, can happen at any time, but we still need to get on with what's called the new normal, and one of the others is to test where you are on a continuum, and you'll appreciate this uh, very much, from one extreme where you think fate and destiny just determines everything that goes on in mm -hmm. life versus the opposite extreme where we are the captain of our fate and the master of our uh, destiny, and you are in control of everything. So where, all your listeners can think, where do you fit there? Yeah. More towards fate and destiny or more towards I'm in control? Where would you fit, Monsignor? Uh, I think of more my control. I am in control. You're in control. Yeah, I'm not a, a fatalist in any way. I think that uh, sometimes things happen, but that ultimately we have to make decisions based on the circumstances we face. And some people face, I mean, when you're, when you're born into a situation like you live in Aleppo, that right. you really don't have as much control over things. Right. But there exactly. are decisions that you can make yes. when you're born into those places. Uh, I, I do think that uh, I always joke with my nephew and say to him, please never forget that you were born on second and didn't hit a double. Ah. You know, that's the old expression. We all kind of know that. But it's very easy to kind of think that sometimes ah. our successes are a result of all our own hard work, when in fact circumstances do... Uh, impinge. impinge. But, yeah. but that doesn't diminish the fact that we have to make... You know, we have to make sure. I think I believe I'm not a fatalist in that regard. That right. you know, I'm just a victim of circumstances and and whatever happened. I'm curious. Well, many though, people do feel, and I agree with you that there's a middle ground. That's where I am yeah. too. Certain things you can't control at all. As we right. know, you could be walking in the street and all of a sudden some maniac comes barreling down in a in a truck, as we know that has happened uh, last year. And uh, by the other mm -hmm. hand, you, you do have to pay some attention, and we have control you know, over our lives. So somewhere in the beginning, that is actually a test that's called the locus of control. This is a psychological dimension uh, that, that is used often in, yeah. in life. Do you believe in freedom? Do you believe people are free? Do you believe they're conditioned? Oh, well, <laughs> that's an interesting question for me because as a psychologist, I think there is such a thing called conditioning. I mean, it's like the old Pavlov dog. Yeah. They ring the bell, and you know, we That's just it. react very instinctively. Unfortunately, so. But I do, th I do believe in personal freedom, and mm. that we do have to take responsibility in terms of what you asked me about the nine steps. I mean, one of the things uh, that I've noticed is that parents are panicked. You know, there are parents who have come to me as a psychologist after all the so many. You know, children have been shot, and children have been terrorized in schools. And parents have been panicked, and kids have had what we call school phobia, where they don't want to yeah. go to school because they're afraid that something will happen to their parents. 
And I think these kinds of fears have to be assuaged. But you do need to talk to kids. That's one, another one of the tips because they hear things in school and children can develop headaches and stomach aches and all these issues and not wanting to do their homework and being angry and fighting with but, other but kids. But doesn't it get you a little frustrated when you go to places uh, around the world where kids are suffering from war or from famine or from great disease? Yes, and I then you do. come to the United States and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of where, – where, where the children in this country – are not suffering from anywhere near the level of existential threat yeah, that's, that kids suffer that's, in other parts of the world. That's that's brilliant. I, I I do. I was I was sit, I belonged to the Friars Club, you know, and I was yes. sitting at the Friars Club and eating, and everybody was eating all these sumptuous meals, and and I had just come from Vietnam, and where I had bought a bag of rice for ninety families who were hit by the typhoon. And it was five hundred and thirty dollars for ninety bags of rice, and my lunch was probably you know a hundred and something. And uh, for the people I was with, and and this always bothers me the balance. And I think it's worthwhile for us all, all your listeners, to think about that constantly to say, do I need the excess? Do mm -hmm. I need yet another pocketbook? Do I need yet another you know a sweater? Etc. But you know, with kids, I think it's important to teach them about that, right. and um, because they're always wanting the next pair of sneakers that everybody have, the next iPad, the right. next version, um, and to just expose children early on to service mm -hmm. and to what it means to really care for others. In one of the projects that I do, I uh, all around the world in Haiti and China and Japan and 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 in Vietnam and in Africa a great deal. I have kids make pillows, and they draw birds on them because birds fly. And then I bring the pillows to another place in the world, and I teach them, you know, other kids in the world are going through this. And kids enjoy learning about geography, so I think parents can do that too. You know, I wonder, uh, I remember we had a nun, her name was Sister uh, Alice uh, Patricia Dolan, and she used to say to us, uh, you got to name things, claim it, and get rid of it. Uh, and I wonder if, uh, I think about what's going on in the world today, where so many people are coming forward who've been abused, yes. experienced oh. abuse, oh my goodness, uh, yes. whether it's children or uh, you know l earlier in life in their work situation, and unacknowledged pain or yeah. pain that was uh, dismissed, rationalized, that either was dismissed by others, like Sandy Hook, you know, some people consider oh, this is a hoax. Oh, I was there, hoax, yeah. Or, or that they, or was dismissed in their own, like in their mind, they kind of dismissed things. Uh, let's talk about unacknowledged pain a little well, bit. Well, you're so smart <clears throat> uh, and so insightful. As a psychologist, that means so much to me. People do what's called suppress a memory and then repress it, and it gets stuck in the back of uh, one's mind. And I'm very much in, in favor as a psychologist of really bringing those memories to the fore in terms of what you asked me before about coping with some of the traumas that go on now. They trigger those old memories of having been yeah. abused in any way. Right. I'm having been fired from a job, having been, you know, summarily divorced from mm -hmm. someone and when something happens like even a terror attack that's not directly related to you it triggers that old memory and then you're angry at your spouse you're you know irritable with the people you work with and so it's stuck in there mm -hmm. and it like a pus and so it is very important like you said to bring it to the fore and and say what happened so that you get rid of it uh, Beyond Bullets and Bombs is grassroots peace building between Israelis and Palestinians. It's by 
uh, Dr. Judy. And I just want to mention how important this book is, and especially in light of more recent events with the the moving of the capital from right. of Israel to Jerusalem, the impact that that has between as, as, uh, Israelis and Palestinians and beyond the world. You're often so very insightful, uh, whether it's in these peace conflicts internationally, but also the circumstances we face at home. Thanks, Dr. Judy, for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. May the Lord hold you all in the palm of his hand. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.